McVie, who played with Fleetwood Mac and wrote some of their most famous songs, has died aged 79. She died peacefully at a hospital in the company of her family, a statement said. Fleetwood Mac was one of the world's best-known rock bands of the 1970s and 80s. McVie was behind hits like Little Lies, Everywhere, Don't Stop, So You Love Me, and this song here. Songbird. We all know these songs. Who wasn't in some way touched by Fleetwood Mac? Well, someone who was definitely touched by Fleetwood Mac is Andrea Clark. Much of her life has been dedicated to the music of the band and is part of Landslide, a Fleetwood Mac tribute show. Andrea, welcome to the panel. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Pleasure. How are you feeling about now? Well, I'm just trying to you know, be positive and, and think of the uh, all the great things and, and the great life that she would have had and, you know, the wonderful legacy that she's left for us all with, with her music. So I'm just, um, yeah, just trying to not get too sad today. <laughs> trying to think of all the good things and the legacy and we, speaking of legacies, haven't they, as a musical act, left an extraordinary legacy? Absolutely, um, and continues really to influence the you know the younger generation still with um, you know songs coming through with TikTok and um, on movies and things like that because you know we're always amazed actually well we're used to it now but you know how many young people come to our shows um, you know you can look out there and there's eighteen twenty year olds and they're singing along and dancing and then next to them there's you know, more sort of grey-haired, maybe late 60s, 70-year-olds, you know. <laughs> yes, it's funny thing. They, they seem to be intergenerational, don't they? Absolutely, yep, definitely. What about you, Julie? Uh, uh, have you ever been... I mean, let me ask you this, Julie. Do you have rumours at your house? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it's Andrea, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, no, we've got a panel with us, uh, Andrea. Uh, 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 yeah, that's right, Julie and Chris. And I'm, I'm going to ask Julie if she has rumours oh, at no, her place. Sorry, I had no idea. <laughs> that's Hello, Andrea, it's Julie. Um, I have access to an Amazon uh, playlist. Oh, it might start up, Wallace, actually, if I say that. Uh, huh. So, yes, I have everything that uh, Fleetwood, there it goes, Fleetwood Mac would ever <laughs> um, have played. So I love, I've been to one of their concerts live and um, Have you? really love their music. Mm. Chris Finlayson, what about you? Do you have 
Rumours, the album? Well, I used to have it when it was vinyl, but um, I don't have any records now, of course. But she was an extraordinary, an extraordinary artist. I was just reading something today that that beautiful song that you gave us an extract of a few seconds ago uh, was written by her in half an hour. And it's timeless. And it's brilliant. Yeah, and you might be interested in this, uh, Chris. There's a wonderful orchestral uh, arrangement of that. Yes. And so, but, you know, it just makes you realise that when when you're talking about uh, Fleetwood Mac, you talk about Paul McCartney, these folk have been around a long time because Rumours was 1977. So it just shows you what a, a wonderful contribution they have made uh, and as you, as Andrea says, it's intergenerational. People appreciate it, so uh, young folk do, and um, oldies like you, Wallace. Yeah, thanks, Chris. <laughs> um, you live Fleetwood Mac, don't you, Andrea? I guess I do. I guess I do because um, most weekends we're out playing their songs, you know. So um, I guess I do. It's, it's never far from my from my mind. Mm. Do you have a favourite Christine McVie moment? Because I know that you do err towards the Stevie Nicks uh, side, but do you have a favourite Christine McVie moment? I do. Um, four Christine McVie songs in our show, in our landslide show. Um, I do You Make Love and Fun, which I love. It's just such a got such a cool groove to it. Um, Say You Love Me, always popular. Um, Little Lies. People loved, and we do don't stop. So um, we do those ones. But I was thinking about her songwriting today, and I, I I remember when you know when I was a teenager and I got the Rumours album. My brother actually gave it to me, um, and I I used to sort of sing along to all the songs. But but the one that nobody really mentions very much about is that song Oh Daddy. I love and to it. Me, and to me, that was a real masterpiece, you know, and of course it was written about Mick Fleetwood that, you know, he was really the daddy that kept, you know, he kept the band together. He was the glue. Um, Yeah. Very, very good. Uh, Lovely to have you on, Andrea. I mean, you're a wonderful singer yourself. You don't have it in here to uh, give us a couple of bars of Christine (laughs) Mavie at all? I mean, just on a... No, no, I'd be way too shy. (laughs) Good on you. Thanks for being with us. Sorry about that. No, not a problem. As Andrea Clark, they're part of Landslide, a Fleetwood Mac tribute show there. Uh, and look, got to sneak in a little bit of feedback here because we've had so much, by the way, a lot about the um, hot and cold washing. Um, and also the Arts on Tour. Kia ora, Chris, regarding the comment on Arts on Tour as across the Great Divide, we had the opportunity to be part of this incredible organisation in September and experience firsthand the value of the arts as part of the fabric and community to regional communities. We put together after our tour shows firsthand why it is vital this needs to continue uh, and w- what it means to communities across the Motu. Lots regarding Chris's comments on Air New Zealand. I so agree with Chris. $750 to charge uh, Brisbane, to change a Brisbane flight from Wednesday a.m. to the same flight on Tuesday. One way and done online, so no labour required. I thought I had pressed the wrong button and had inadvertently bought a whole new ticket. But no, just a change charge of 
750 bucks. Although uh, Sandra's not a fan, Wallace, you spiteful little toad, calling something grumpy for disliking a 65-minute wait. It means you know nothing, absolutely nothing, about effective customer service. It badly undercuts much of your otherwise enjoyable interviewing. You're on the panel. Here, 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 here. <laughs> you called me grumpy for no reason at all. I was quite I, hurt. I'm... Well, okay. I'll play the victim. I'm very good. I'm well. That's for you. That's that's for you. Sandra entirely uh, endorses uh, that on you, Chris. Now to this: those living in the central North Island were rudely awoken overnight by a 5.6 magnitude earthquake near Taupo. The earthquake struck at two kilometres southwest of Taupo at a depth of nine kilometres. Sorry, twenty kilometres southwest of Taupo at a depth of just nine k's deep, and thousands of people reported feeling it on GeoNet. Do you feel it? With us is Professor Mark Sterling, Chair of Earthquake Science at Otago University. Uh, Professor Sterling, welcome. Hello there, how's it going? Very well. What do we know so far about this earthquake? Oh, uh, basically what you, um, you said, that it was relatively shallow, moderate magnitude. Um, it was um, uh, what we would call a normal faulting mechanism, a sort of a pulling apart type of motion in the rocks. Uh, it was followed by a bunch of aftershocks that have been going through the night and into the day. Uh, and it's um, pretty much part of, of um, what goes on in, our, in what's called the topo volcanic zone, which is a, a, a zone that goes from, from the, you know, around Waiuru up through into the Bay of Plenty that has both these um, normal faults and volcanism, an area of crustal extension. So it's part of all that pro- process, and it's one of New Zealand's most active seismic zones. Yes, the I mean the 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 actual after effect was pretty significant too, was it, Mark? I mean, quite a few. I mean, some boats damaged. You know that that water came right up uh, across the fore foreshore, foreshore. Was quite something. Mm. Yes, yes. When you, I mean, you usually associate that was that was basically like a small lake tsunami. Yeah. Um, you usually associate tsunamis with really really major um, offshore under the sea earthquakes but when you have something that's you know moderate in size like this but it's it's shallow and it's close to the shore you'll get local effects and that's certainly what what happened julie i don't know whether or not you've experienced uh, any earthquakes aftershocks but uh this uh yeah it, it does rattle you doesn't it yes it does yeah, i mean i remember it yeah, yeah. Ju- julie first the new mark mm, julie sorry it's it's very frightening, Wallace. I'm in your beloved Dunedin, yeah. Um, and we didn't feel the earthquake of last night, but have felt the Christchurch mm. earthquakes before. And um, it's knowing what to do. I remember in the February earthquake in Christchurch that most of the people that were killed outside the CTV building uh, were done so by falling debris and facade and that kind of has really stuck with me because your instincts are to get away and and go outside yeah mark yes yes um that's that's right i mean um i first felt an earthquake when i was a teenager living in blenheim i felt uh, an earthquake that was out in cook strait and it was um really shocking the, the the jolt and seeing the 
seeing our aquariums sloshing and stuff like that, and you kind of want, wonder what's going on next. But I'm also in Dunedin, and, um, you know, the, the thing there is that um, the silence, you know, the, the, the quiescence, how quiet things are in the seismically quiet areas is sort of ominous in itself that, that you know, you, you're not used to earthquakes and when earthquakes come along, you know, especially local ones like, yes. like what happened in Christchurch, they're, um, you know, you, you can end up being not very well prepared mentally and, you know, with, with your, your environment, you know, your earthquake water and stuff like that. So, yeah, we've always got to think that, you know, the whole of New Zealand is a plate, is, is on the plate boundary and we can still, even in the quiet areas, have uh, earthquakes that happen out of the blue. You know. very, yeah, very timely reminder, Mark. Stay there. We're, Chris, Chris Finn listens here too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think the point that really does need to be emphasised, and I, you know, I've just been looking at the very good uh, GNI website or app, and uh, there have been 33 since uh, mm. the big one. I think it just emphasises the point that we, we forget very quickly the Kaikoura earthquake and other such matters, and we have to be prepared. And the point was made by Mark about water and provisions. Uh, we just can't overlook the fact that we live in a seismically active zone and we need, you know, we'll be on our own. If, if we get a force eight in Wellington, we're on mm. our own. And mm. so if we don't have water and provisions, then we're in trouble. So it's, it's a timely reminder of those matters. Yeah, Mark? Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree there. Uh, and an in, it's an interesting point that, that you've made about how we quickly forget. And, um, you know, I've seen that now with, with the Edgecombe earthquake, which was way back in 1987, and, and Christchurch and Kaikoura, that we get on with life. And, and you know, you, a lot of people, unless you're in the really right close in where you're majorly affected, most of us sort of forget. And, you know, unfortunately, um, one thing we noticed with, with um, these earthquakes is that the, 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 I mean, rightfully, the interest and the financial support for earthquake research and, and you know, the seismology and engineering goes up very fast when there's a major earthquake, but it decreases exponentially with time. Oh, and that's interesting. So, yeah, it's a very interesting observation. Um, it's not, you know, there's more sustained funding these days, but it's still, you've, you've kind of got to be in to learn early on and take the opportunities, um, you know, of, of learning from these, these, these disasters that are occasionally very devastating, but to improve our, our preparedness for next time round, we've got to sort of seize the opportunity and, and study the heck out of them. Very nice to have you on, Professor Sterling Kiora. Appreciate your time. Sure. Great. Thanks very much. Yeah, that's the Chair of Earthquake Science at Otago University. Did you feel it? Text me uh, 2101. Tim in Dunedin says, In Dunedin, the Akatore Fault gives me the screaming heebie-jeebies. One good shallow uplift shake there and goodbye South D is Tim's uh, um, viewpoint here. We probably ought to have tsunami uh, towers there. Nice to have your company this afternoon. I really appreciate it. It's 10 to 5. You're on the panel. We have Julie Woods, first time panellist from uh, Dunedin. 
Motipori Dunedin, and we have Chris Finlayson on uh, this afternoon. Now, Finland Prime Minister Sanna Marin is in Aotearoa, and yesterday we talked about Finland, and it got a bit of interest. How for the nation the same size as us and population how they do so well on many indices. Five and a half million, they're a tech powerhouse, as an example. Many of our elevators and escalators, they are from Finland. They make the largest cruise ships on earth. Finland has some of the best postnatal care facilities for families, as I mentioned yesterday, and Finnish schools, they are some of the top in the world. Children start school at seven. We thought we might uh, glean a bit more information from someone who is from there with us is Maria Malalakte, who is now a lecturer at AUT here in New Zealand. Maria, welcome to the panel. Oh, thank you. Firstly, how long have you been uh, here in New Zealand? Well, I actually moved to New Zealand in 2009 and I was before that in London. So I actually been abroad almost 28 years. So right. but I recently, recently visited Finland and I stayed there three and a half months and just actually came back. So I have a kind of an idea what's going on there. Yeah. Well, look, there's many things we can discuss, and uh, our listeners seem to be very interested in the comparison between New Zealand and Finland, you know, the similar size and that type of thing. But a common refrain is, what about the Finnish education system? What do they do differently? Because they are at the top uh, in rankings. What do you do? What do they do? Well, I think, you know, the, the one thing, um, let's just put it out there, the education is, of, of, of course, free for everyone, and that is kind of an you know, equal basis um, for everyone. We don't have a private schools. Um, what, no so, private schools? No. There are some international schools because we have uh, increasingly people coming from European Union to work in Finland. Uh, so, uh, But it, there are no private schools. They all are funded by the government, uh, taxpayers, they equal uh, accessibility for everyone. And so are the universities are free. And so that feeds on, that obviously by all accounts feeds on into the what's the success of young Finnish students? Well, I think you know the the uh, I, there's a lot of emphasis in Finland uh, in in learning and teaching, and uh, the I think the the teachers are pretty well paid. Uh, uh. That's that's a job which is appreciated. Uh, so I think there's something in in that as well. Okay, round the panel. What do we want to know about Finland? Shall we start with you, Chris Finlayson? <laughs> and have you been there, Chris? No, and I would love to because I think Scandinavia generally is a place that we should be paying a lot of attention to. Helen Clark opened an embassy in Stockholm. Murray McCulley shut it down. I don't know why. It was a ridiculous decision, but it's now open again. Uh, And it's just a fascinating part of the world. Whenever I think of Finland, I think of Sibelius. I think of their bravery against the Russians, 1939-1940. Their totally unintelligible language, which shares some links, I think, with Latvian and Hungarian. The Hungarians say that they all sort of came across from Eastern Europe and the, the smart ones went south and the, uh, the, the, the silly ones went north to the cold. But you've got to give it to the Finns. It's a fascinating country. And um, their prime minister looked the real star. Maria? 
Well, yeah, we have, you know, a lot of, you know, of course, good points, uh, and so does Aotearoa, uh, let's not forget that. Uh, but I think, you know, we have few problems like this long border with Russia, which is 1,300 kilometers long. Wow. So uh, we do have uh, some issues. <laughs> yes, under- yes, of course. Uh, Julie, I don't know bringing- that joining NATO is the smartest decision, though, because it'll just arouse the bear, but anyway. Um, yeah, Julie. Yes, well, Maria, I went to Finland in 2015 and crossed the border from (laughs) Russia at the customs where they were very serious and very grumpy and then went down the road into a service centre in Finland and the people were so happy and so lovely. It was an amazing contrast and and that's a memory that I will always um, have. I watched a... a, um, a documentary on Netflix about the 10 happiest countries in the world and five of them were Scandinavian and so therefore I believe that high taxes equals happiness. Oh, I can't enforce that. I think that's going too fast. <laughs> I don't think we should come on Radio New Zealand again with those sorts of views. <laughs> well, what I will say, Maria, is uh, people are commenting about your music. Uh, apart from Sibelius, yeah, the greatest export from Finland is also um, heavy metal. It's phenomenal. And I do know you are metal fans, but also to um, massive coffee drinkers as well, uh, as I understand. Oh, yes, we do appreciate our coffee. And I think we are on, you know, somewhere on the top on that list as well. So we're not just, you know, happiest country in the world. We are also maybe the, you know, one of the highest coffee drinking, you know, uh, people in the world. So it's just, uh, yeah, we seem to be ranking quite high in a lot of places. Right. But finally, Maria. Don't forget forget that your best export uh, to New Zealand is the concert master of the NZSO. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very, very good. Hey, Maria, kia ora. Thank you very much for your time. No worries. Thank you. That is uh, Maria uh, Malalakate there uh, on the panel RNZ National. Such a response to the New Zealand uh, uh, business that Chris Finlayson uh, brought up. Had to wait 65 minutes, uh, 65 minutes on hold to get service. Let's, let's come back to that, maybe even tomorrow. I, I've only got a couple of minutes, Chris. So I just wanted to, to raise this with you. I wanted to know what you thought. This last-minute clause in the controversial Three Waters Bill has been called a real danger to New Zealand's constitution by uh, a leading legal expert. The change to the bill means any future law change allowing public water assets to be sold would require a vote of 60% of parliament or a successful public referendum. This notion of entrenchment, Chris, uh, effectively entrenching public ownership of water assets by insisting on a supermajority of 72 MPs Quite um, complex on one level, uh, perhaps not in others. I just wanted your take on it. Well, I think there's a moral injunction when it comes to the entrenchment clauses in electoral law because you don't fiddle with electoral law unless you have a broad cross-party consensus, but that's where it ends. Um, some uh, Judith Tizard once said to me, look, National and Labour have to agree on about 70% of the stuff, and we can have a scrap on the rest, but um, it has to be open to uh, a future government to come in and make changes. Uh, and so it really was quite a, uh, a cock-up, quite frankly, and I... Uh, 
it seems to have slipped through the the uh, system without anyone paying too much attention to it, which is not very impressive, but often that happens with lawmaking. Mm. So I would think the smart thing to do is back off it fast because the last thing you want is for an incoming government to uh, indulge in a little utu. So there has to be mutual respect and mutual restraint when dealing with these sorts of issues. It's not in the public interest that you have national and labour disagreeing on this sort of stuff. Really interesting stuff, Chris Finnis and Kia ora. Thank you for your time. There we have it, uh, panel and team. You drink coffee, play metal, and you're happy. Chris Finlayson, Julie Woods, Kia ora. Thank you both. Julie, thanks for your first time here on the panel. I really appreciate it. I am Wallace Chapman. I am back tomorrow broadcasting from the Bay. See you tomorrow at 3.45. Checkpoint is next.